Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. This is God's morning, as they all are. This is a morning that God calls us to worship, to gather in fellowship as the family of faith, to place ourselves in a position where we can listen and learn and grow. I welcome you, whether you are here for the 8,000th time or for the first time. You may be here online. You may be here at 3 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday, wherever you are at some point later on. But we are here to worship the living God, so welcome. Let us be called together and give our full attention to God now as we read responsibly from the 27th Psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. Friends, let us worship God. is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and full of abundant mercy. 
Therefore, we have confidence when we come to God and confess our sins, knowing God is ready and eager to forgive us. Will you please join me as together we pray the prayer of confession as printed in the bulletin. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real, too high, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Hear now the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ, and Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. Christ reigns in power for you. Christ prays for you. Whoever is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Thanks be to God, we are forgiven. Amen. Christ be with you. And also with you. Okay, guys, what's the routine? Share that peace wherever you are. Friends, as we are moving back into more normal habits and patterns since the pandemic, we are also living into a little bit of a new reality in terms of our order of worship together. And you'll notice a new line that was there in the last week's bulletin, the blessing and dismissal of young disciples. And a couple of folks last week asked me, well, who are young disciples? Well, young disciples are exactly that. They're younger folks, our children. We're encouraging our children to come into worship with us at both services at the beginning of the service. And then after a few minutes of being with us, we dismiss them with our blessing as they go to their Sunday school classes. So kids, you are dismissed now to go to your classes. Your teachers and leaders are waiting for you at the back of the sanctuary. And rest assured, your mom and or your dad will come and get you following the end of this worship service. So, blessings as you go. I don't know if any of you picked up on this, and I decided not to create a program note about it, but the uh, hymn that we just sang uh, is a great hymn of the historic church. 
It was used in the St. Giles Cathedral last week as all the good Presbyterians in Scotland uh, said farewell to the Queen. And so I wanted us to sing it today, uh, as well as to note that the Queen had the good sense to die in Scotland. Clearly she trusted the Presbyterians to get her to heaven more so than she did the Anglicans in England. I might get fired for what I just said, but there we are. <laughs> there we are. So a few other bits of uh, news about what's going on in the life of the church. You'll notice a lot of beautiful flower arrangements. They were here yesterday to help us celebrate uh, the life of Lenore Mormon. Lenore had not lived in this area for the last few years, but for a long time was quite active. She uh, reached the ripe old age of 100 uh, in a few days. And so we're celebrating with the Mormon family that great and wonderful life. We're also celebrating the fact that last night at the Plant with Purpose banquet, Jan Farley was uh, honored as as the uh, volunteer of the year, is that what they call it? Or just, just kind of honored as a, yeah, so that's very cool. So I think you need to bring that cool glass trophy thing they gave you to the office for a while so we can see it. I know it's heavy, but you can carry it. That's good. That's good. A few other things. Uh, you will find a table out on the patio that is full of stuff. That stuff is stuff that you have left here over the last few years. We cleaned out our lost and found drawer. And as I walked up to the table at about 8 o'clock this morning, I discovered a hat, Keith, that I had not been in my closet for quite some time. So would you please stop by the table if there's something there that you lost a long time ago, please take it home with you. You're on your honor, Bob, to take something that you left here. After a couple of weeks, if nothing gets taken or something's left, we'll let people take everything that's there. On October 2nd, we're having a blood drive here. You can register for it online. On October 9th, we are having a kickoff gathering for our Gathering of Eight. That's the old table for eight. You can read more about all of these things online. We are welcoming people to join our Christmas Chorale because Christmas is two and a half days from now. Uh, but they got to start rehearsing, got to start singing. If you'd like to be part of our Christmas chorale and sing some wonderful music, you can register online. You're invited to tell us uh, who you think might be a great elder or a great deacon in the life of the church. That's a lot of stuff I know that I threw quickly at it. It's all online. It's all in the emails we send to you, but we just want you to be aware of it all. We especially want to welcome now Keith and Lori Edwards, uh, historic members of our church and great mission folks, and they're going to share with us a little bit about what they've been doing recently. Good morning. Um, in 2004, a small group from the Village Church went over to Kenya to look for a mission project that we could make our own. And while over there, we came across an orphanage that was in terrible shape. The floors were all dirt, the kids were sleeping in the dirt or on these old cots that were falling apart. Um, there was no, no running water and uh, very little food and certainly no chance for any kind of educational opportunities. Well, over the last 20 years, um, things have changed. We, uh, as a church, and thanks to all of you, managed to get a 21-acre site, and we now have a children's home on that site called the Elma Barnett Children's Center. And the kids not only have a place to live and water and food, uh, we grow most of our food on site, and they also, we have chickens and, and cows to provide their food and a good educational system. And also, as an added bonus on that site, we managed to build a high school. And that high school has all the modern conveniences, including a um, 
state-of-the-art science center and a state-of-the-art um, library and computer center. And our school is now one of the better schools in the neighborhood, and we're being unable to attract boarding students from all around that can actually pay the fees. And um, Corey's gonna talk a little bit about the kids. Yeah, we count ourselves so grateful and blessed by the support and partnership of the Village Church, the large donors in this congregation, and the child sponsors. You're really transforming the lives of these vulnerable Kenyan children in the Rift Valley. They come from not unstable and non-functioning homes and they have very little hope for the future. And they're being sheltered, loved and educated and growing into self-supporting and Christ-following young adults. Kids who never dreamed of even finishing elementary school are going on beyond high school to uh, vocational programs in subjects like auto mechanics, electri electricians, hairdressers and cooks. Others go to two or four year college programs in accounting. We've had graduates in education, business, and the hospitality industry. But one of the most impactful stories I love to tell is about Henry Uma, who um, started as one of those kids on the, in the dirt floor orth orphanage and after receiving his college degree in education, worked for several years as a teacher in a prominent public high school before coming back to the Elma Center two years ago, and he now serves as the principal of the Elma High School. So he's a great, inspiring mentor and example for the younger kids coming up behind him. That's just one story. We'd love to tell you more. We'll be out at the mission table afterwards if you'd like us to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you for guys. Keith, 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 Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray for these folks. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have called us to be part of what you are doing, not only here in our community, but in communities around the world. We thank you for the ways that you have created great generosity in this congregation, as well as faithfulness and love that is modeled and exemplified by folks like Keith and Lori. We pray your blessing, especially on all those whose lives are touched by the ministry of the Alma Barnett Center, and ask that you would continue to, uh, to help it to flourish and to touch people with the love of Jesus as they meet some of their worldly needs and especially their spiritual ones. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank, Thank you, you, guys. God bless. So friends, this is simply one of the ways that you can participate in what God is doing in the world. As part of our worship, every time we gather though, we have an opportunity to express our commitment to that work and our participation in that work. So as this next musical piece is being performed, we'd invite you, if you feel so led, to come to the offering baskets to present your offerings before the living God.
invite you to join me in a time of prayer. I will lead us in a pastoral prayer, and then together we will say the Lord's Prayer. Let us join our hearts together. Gracious God, mighty, blessed indeed is your name. God who keeps us and loves us with a love so fierce that nothing, no sin, no trauma, no peril will keep us from your grace and your son Jesus. Forgive us in our unbelief, our self-occupation that distracts us from your mercy and seeks to hide our guilt. Restore us anew and help us to be reminded every day to accept your invitation to kneel at your feet, to lift up our burdens, to realize you carry those burdens with us and for us. Your strength gives us comfort, Lord, in a world of turmoil and violence. We are in awe knowing that neither the littlest of prayers nor the most grander escape your attention. Thank you, Lord, as you hear our prayers guided, we ask, by Holy Spirit. Hear again our prayers for the world. We pray for what seems impossible, peace in places where war reigns, bodies secretly buried and discovered in land ravaged by weapons carried by evil. We pray for the elements, drought which threatens us daily with fires, floods that take land, homes, and livelihood of people. Lord God, we ask that you would protect the people of Japan from the typhoon and keep the millions evacuating safely through the storm. Comfort your people, comfort your people, Lord God, especially those in the United Kingdom and the whole world as we grieve the loss of the queen and prepare to lay her to rest. For all of us who through the decades watched and listened to your dear servant, Queen Elizabeth II, May it be a model of faith and service for all. Help us, Lord, to be gracious to all around us, to understand and embrace differences between peoples. We pray for our own nation, O Lord. We ask that you would stop the political reign of vitriolic criticism of any who do not agree with their way of thinking. Forgive us for dividing this nation with self-promotion rather than seeking you to guide and direct us in peace reconciliation and love. Bring justice to neighborhoods where injustice reigns. Help us to provide resources for those in need. Lord, we ask that you would bless our branch barbecue as we gather this Saturday to share a meal with those who do not have food. We ask that you would shelter those who are impoverished and bless the San Diego Rescue Mission and Interfaith Community Services who bring shelter and restoration to many, especially to our veterans. Gracious God, there are people in our congregation who have suffered great loss. Wrap your arms around them and give them a sign of your care. For those who have lost jobs, grant provision and hope. For those who wonder about their health and worry about the future, lead them to a sound medical advice. And remind us all that you hold our lives, that you know our futures. For those who have experienced the loss of a dream for themselves or for others they love, we pray for trust and the miracle of assurance that can only come from you. In all our asking and praying, we pray that Christ would be glorified in all we have done and all that we do. May it continue to be a witness to the world in Christ's name who taught us together to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
A reading from the Gospel according to John. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart flow rivers of living water. And now from the letter to the Romans. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. The word of the Lord. A little girl went to church one day with her parents, and then after church, they drove over to Granny and Grandpa's house and sat down for a nice Sunday lunch. While they were sitting there at the table, Grandpa asked his granddaughter, what was the preacher's topic for his sermon today? And the little girl, without hesitation, said, sin. And Grandpa said, hmm, what did he have to say about it? And she said, he was against it. We're going to talk about sin today. I'm just looking to see if anybody's going to walk out right now. (laughs) There is more to say about sin than just that the preacher or God is against it. But we need to talk about sin in a broader context. And so let's talk about last week. Most of you, I think, were in this worship service or online with this worship service last week. When we started talking about the call and claim of Christ, for us to live our lives based on the rock. 
we looked carefully at the little story that Jesus told at the end of the Sermon on the Mount about a man who chose to build his house on rock and the winds came and the floods came and, and the house stood because it was built on rock. But then the man who built his house on sand and the, the winds blew and the floods rose and the house was washed away because it built on sand. We are thinking throughout the entire fall period up until Advent about what it means, how we do it, to have life on the rock. Not literal rock, of course, though that is a good foundation for your house, but the rock of God's word, the rock of God's truth, the rock of Jesus and all he taught us about life. And so last week, if you weren't here, and if you haven't heard, we gave out rocks. Here's my rock. It's been pretty close by me the whole week. How many of you have spent a little time with your rock this week? Those of you who were here last week, that's great. Now, these are not pet rocks. They do not need any care and feeding. It's just a rock. I gave it to you last week so that you could remember who your rock actually is. There's a wonderful old hymn, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is shifting sand. And that's what we'll talk about today. All other ground, anything and everything other than Jesus and the truth of God is sand. Our money, our intelligence, our families, our power, our connections, our sex appeal, it's all sand. And so we need to build on the rock. Now, if some of you were not here last week, or if you simply forgot and rushed out, we have more rocks today. If you need to take a rock, great. Some of you last week asked me if you could take a rock to someone else, and that's a great idea. So Helen and I went and bought more rocks this week. We have lots of rocks. If you want to take a rock to somebody, and remind them, or maybe tell them for the very first time that they will ever have heard about Jesus, who is our rock. Please feel free to do that. Well, back to the sand. We have to deal with the story that Jesus told and the truth that's in that story about the fact that, that we all struggle sometimes to build on the rock rather than on the sand. We have to talk about the sand. And for me, the more theological way to talk about the sand is to talk about sin. Because that's what sin is. Anything that is not of God, that is not grounded in who God is and how God made us to live in this world. I was shocked, actually, when I looked up 
a book that I tried to find in my library. I'm sure it's still there somewhere, but I couldn't find it and look in the book itself. So it was much quicker just to Google the book, a book that became quite popular when it first was published, at least among the theological set. The book was actually published 50 years ago. It was written by Dr. Carl Menninger of the famous Menninger Clinic, one of the world's most famous psychiatrists at the time. Some of you maybe read the book, maybe some of you still have it. The title says it all. Whatever Became of Sin? That was the title of the book. Fifty years ago, one of the world's eminent psychiatrists was wondering why society had stopped talking about sin. And of course, he well knew the reason for that. It's because as we think about all in our lives that is imperfect or off-kilter or out of balance or wrong or dysfunctional, we have learned to blame all sorts of things. And it's a good thing in its own way. We say that mental illness makes us behave poorly. That's true. There is such a thing as mental illness. We say that chemical imbalances in our brains make us sometimes behave poorly. That is true. We need to know that. We say that people who have had a bad childhood full of struggle and strife, maybe they haven't been loved by their parents, or maybe there's been violence, maybe there's been abuse. People act out in dysfunctional ways because of that. That's true. We need to know that. We say that people living in bad social situations in the present day, folks that are struggling with things, sometimes act out in ways that are not right. And that's true too. However, that's what Dr. Menninger wanted to say. However, can we not admit, can we not recognize that sometimes maybe more times than we like to admit, the source of that which is sinful in us is sin, not something else. I find it fascinating in me and also in Juan. I've noticed it in Juan, not in any of the rest of you. Sorry, Juan. I get to pick on him because he works for me. <laughs> That's probably sinful, isn't it? <laughs> there we are. I've noticed that you and I love to focus on the fact that we are created as free and independent creatures who make up our own minds and run our own lives. And when everything is going well, when everything is successful, when everything is happy and hunky-dory, we say, I did it. But when everything is not, so good and not so hunky-dory. We want to blame something else. I have this illness. I, I had, you know, mom and dad. I'm going to blame mom and dad. I'm going to blame the fact that I had a hangnail today. Whatever it is, we love to take credit for our good behavior, and we love to blame our bad behavior on something else. And again, don't get me wrong. All those things that I talked about are real and we must deal with them, but still, 
Is there not something in us that is simply willful bad behavior? It's what the Bible says. It's what Jesus said. When Paul was writing his letter to the Romans, every single one of us could be a Roman right now, he highlighted this problem of life that you and I have, that we struggle and sometimes we lose in the battle of doing what we know is the right thing. He says, the good that I want to do, I don't do, and the bad that I don't want to do, I do. Can you relate to that? Of course you can. Of course you can. It's like there's a war going on within us between good and evil, between God and the devil. There is a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other. And we say that we're free to choose the good, but we blame the bad on something else. That's the simple truth of life. Let's talk about sin and what it actually is. Sin is something that does sometimes seem to overtake us. I know that feeling. You know that feeling. And yet, do we not also have a choice? We choose it. We choose to think that some of the sin that's in us is really not that bad. Sometimes we cannot see our sin for what it is. Sometimes it does seem to have a life of its own. I get that. But let's never forget that sin takes us away from God. Sin destroys the image of God in us. Sin creates death, not life. Sin creates hatred, not love. Sin creates injustice, not righteousness. Sin is fake life, not real life. Now, I think all of us sitting here understand that everything I've said so far does not apply to you. We love to talk about sin. We love to dwell on sin. We love to highlight and magnify the sin of other people. But not us. And therein, perhaps, lies the root of so much of our sin. And so we have to talk about sin because it's there. We know it's there. We admit that that struggle is there within us. That's a really good reason to talk about it because we know it's there. But there's an even better reason to talk about sin, and that's because Jesus talked about sin. Now, I realize a lot of folks have grown up in churches and there's that urge in all of us to think of Jesus as an angry, vindictive, condescending kind of guy who said, you're sinners. If that's the only Jesus you know, then let me introduce you to the real Jesus. Jesus talked about our sin all the time because he was honest. And in being honest, he was helping us to heal. 
So let's talk about your sin some more. <laughs> I'm equating it to the sand as opposed to the rock. Sand because sin is anything that we cannot build on. Sin is anything that tempts us to get away with that which is convenient, that which feels good, that which is easy to pull off. There are two kinds of sin in the world in my book. One kind is the sin that you can readily see and perhaps even readily admit. I have never met a person who when you really got down to it and they were being honest, I've never met a person who at some point would not eventually say to me, you know, I've struggled with X or Y or Z my whole life and I haven't conquered it, but I'm still fighting. There is much sin in us that is easy to see, and maybe even it's easy to admit. You know, in our culture, I suppose every culture, there are some sins that you can easily admit and everybody laughs and goes away. There are other sins that if you admit in polite company, you're condemned. That too is sinful. There is also sin which we cannot see or which we will not admit. That's the reason that God created the community of faith, is that we do need people, other people, to reflect back to us who we are, not in a tattletale sort of way, not in a gossipy sort of way, not in a condescending, self-righteous sort of way, but merely in the way of one sinner talking to another. It's tough to pull off. Many of us have tried to help other people deal with their sin, and it hasn't worked so well. And probably many people have tried with us and it hasn't worked so well. But still, in the Christian community, we are called to have such love for each other that sometimes we can speak the truth to each other in love. Now, I realize you'd love for this sermon to be over, but it's not. We're going to keep talking about sin. And I want to say this about your sin and my sin, and that is don't get discouraged. Don't be afraid, because there is hope and there is help. And ultimately, we are not afraid of our sin. As he wrote to the Romans, Paul sort of pled. He, he cried out. He said, who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he answered that question, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, yes, yes. We can talk about sin, we can describe it, we can explain it, we can even admit it because of Jesus. Jesus who died for our sin, Jesus who called us out for our sin, Jesus who believed that we could do better. In that little passage from John, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. It's obviously not about physical thirst, although sometimes it is really important to give people a drink of water. 
What are you thirsty for? Are you thirsty for a life of meaning? Are you thirsty for a life where you transcend some of those sins that keep messing everything up for you? What are you thirsty for? Whatever you're thirsty for, you're actually thirsty for God. And Jesus apparently was an optimist. Jesus believed that in coming to him that you could find the water of life. He said, out of the believer's heart shall flow waters of living water. Out of the believer's heart. Jesus called us out for our sin because he knew that it was killing us, and it does kill us, but he also knew that there was something that could give us life. He believed it so much that he was willing to die for it. You see, as you and I come to him, we find forgiveness. We find honesty. We find the spiritual sources of healing from our mental illness, healing from our terrible upbringing, healing from our horrible choices, healing and beginning to conquer. And so I would ask you this, if Jesus believed that you should and could confront your own sin head on, no holds barred, and if Jesus believed that in doing that there was a way forward and a way out, then who are we to say that that cannot happen? Now, the business of how we come to Jesus how we drink from that fountain that finally slakes our thirst, how we begin to have our hearts changed so that rivers of living water flow out of them. That's a topic for sermons that are coming up. But for now, for today, and for this week, as you take out your rock and sit there and contemplate it for a while, simply admit this, that we all have sin, we all have sand in our lives. We can admit that because Jesus said we could and because we have hope that Jesus is with us as we heal, as we grow, as we find his power to help us win more and more the battles that we struggle with in our own sin. The old hymn says that my sin is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. May it be so. Amen. Let's stand together and affirm our faith from Romans chapter 6. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. This preacher, in case Grandpa asks you at lunch later today, is against sin because God is against sin so much that he gave his only son. God is for you and me. And God knows, as Jesus taught, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
you can defeat sin. Don't be afraid of your sin. Stare it down and conquer it in the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. May the grace of our Lord, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forever and ever and ever. Let God's people say together, Amen. Amen.